You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family, and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past, without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged, and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves, if we let them. For this episode, I spoke to Andrew Hunter-Murray. Andrew is a scriptwriter and fact hunter for BBC Two's QI. He co-hosts the podcast No Such Thing as a Fish, which has toured the UK, Europe, and Australia. And he also writes jokes and journalism for Private Eye Magazine and hosts the Eyes podcast, Page 94. He's one of the founder members of the award-winning comedy show Ostentatious and spent three years as one of the regular correspondents on BBC Two's The MASH Report. He's the author of The Last Day, and his new, completely gripping ecological thriller, The Sanctuary, is out now and available in all good bookshops. When Andrew and I spoke, we discussed what his life might have been like if, a year after graduating from university in Oxford and getting a job in London, he'd done a complete 180 and moved back to Oxford to write sketch comedy with a friend. Along the way, we invented a fictional sandwich chain, narrowly avoided petty theft, and helicoptered Philip Larkin into the 2012 Olympics. I also laughed a lot. Hi, Andrew. Hello. It's really fun to have you here on My Unlived Life. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, I, it's it's perfect, I think, actually, because I think that... Uh, you know, this podcast sort of deals in decisions, doesn't it? Sort of you choose Mm. to do X over Y, or maybe perhaps somebody chooses for you, chooses X over Y on your behalf, but whatever it is, uh, these things sort of set us down a path. Um, But you have some sort of strong feelings about decisions and choice, don't you? (laughs) I suppose I do. Um, So uh, my kind of minority report on the whole decision choice thing is that I don't think people do make choices and I, I certainly don't, if I can possibly avoid it, uh, and I think most people fall into that category, and I think the people who do make these unbelievable, incredible, strong choices when they don't have to are probably the ones who end up um, uh, as dictators. And I think, <laughs> I think, I think it's an unusual. I think it's an unusual thing to um, to make a choice that you're not pushed into. So um, uh, people tend to make choices when they reach a fork in the road but if your life is going along all right it's very easy to ignore minor forks that appear in the road to left or right I think yeah. um and I think I think most people make decisions when they're really pushed to do something so the the decision of what you do for your work is a is an enormous one obviously um it, it's very important and people tend not to make choices about it until they finish school or finish university you know, if there was an option of just staying at school indefinitely, people would probably just do that. People would just carry <laughs> on. Um, like, likewise, the decision to switch career. If you're if you're in a career, uh, as long as it's not gone terribly, as long as you're you're not really struggling for money or, um, or or desperately unhappy in what you want to do, I think most people will carry on doing broadly the same sort of thing. Um, and I think it does take a uh, skill to make a decision when you're not pushed into it. Uh, if that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. I think the art of decision-making is something that we're um, we're certainly not taught. And maybe it is because of this, maybe this is ultimately we're all kind of shepherded or nudged, mm. gently nudged in sort of the deci- in the direction of what we end up doing. But I think it's interesting in the context of your book that you feel that way because your um, protagonist in your new book, The Sanctuary, yeah. makes a really big decision right at the start, right? He cashes it all in and he goes on a on a bit of a quest. So A, how does that fit with your feelings about decision making and choice? And then B, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? Well, A, the reason 
that the choice happens at the start of the book is that's the point to begin the story. I didn't begin the story <laughs> at the point where, you know, several years before where he was just carrying on being slightly unhappy, but not really doing anything about it. The point at which he makes the choice is the point at which the story has to start. And that's a, as much a thing about storytelling as anything else, I suppose. Otherwise, stories would just be people having, you know, relatively pleasant conversations and, and not affecting each other emotionally hugely in any way at all. That's why so many stories start with a death or start with a uh, or a marriage or, or whatever it might be. There is a, a, a hinge change moment that that forces the characters to, to do something different. And so this is exactly the case in The Sanctuary. Uh, the main character is a young man called Ben. He's a, he's a painter. He uh, lives in a, a kind of version of this country, which is near here and near now, but it's not quite either. Um, it's a very divided version of the country. It's um, Ben's job is to be... Uh, he's a painter of the rich, I would say. And his job really is to travel the country uh, to these very exclusive, beautiful village enclaves which exist in this world, painting the residents, giving them an idealised version of themselves. He's not especially happy with it, but he, he hasn't been forced into making a choice. And the reason the story opens where it does is that Ben's fiance Kara, has, for the last six months, been away. She's been away working, um... She, again, is a kind of handmaiden to the rich, but she she administrates their lives. She helps them organize their businesses, this kind of thing. And for the last six months, she's been away on the uh, gorgeous, uh, Edenic private island of a man called Sir John Pemberley. And Pemberley is the man who set up the entire kind of rotten architecture of the state as it is. He set up this gorgeous village system, which allows the comfortable classes to withdraw from the world and leave the rest of the country behind, kind of sweating and, and suffering in the cities. Mm. At the start of the novel, Kara writes to Ben and she says, this place I've seen is so beautiful. The work I'm doing here is so important that I'm not going to come home. Sorry. And Ben has a choice to make in that moment. Either he stays doing his work relatively unhappily without her or he does something about it and he chooses to do something about it he says i'm going to travel to the island i am going to find out what's going on here i'm going to see Kara again if she's making this decision i want us to make it face to face and i'm going to find out what is going on with this man pemberley and that is the action of the novel as it begins mm. and what it is such a gorgeous novel and that in that <laughs> moment that it really i mean, it really really is i raced through it and that moment where he decides it's almost i mean it's it's almost immediate for him. He just kind of knows. He just, it takes him a yeah. second. And then he's like, no, there's, I just, and he finds himself packing his bags almost straight away, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and that's maybe those those moments where you're forced into a choice that, that's big. You have to be really pushed. But once it arrives, mm. it's kind of obvious what you have to do. Yeah, I hope so. Last time we spoke, you had 20 pages to go. Have you finished it yet? I finished it. I finished oh, it. It was wonderful. Just I won't the... say a single word about the end, but... Oh. But a lot a lot changes in the last 20 pages. A I lot, a lot. <laughs> I know. You know, you, sometimes you get to the last 20 pages of the book and you're like, okay, I'm here. This is like, you know, this is this is my wind down. It's like your cool down after your workout, you know, oh. but this was not it at all. It was Good. sort of the final <laughs> sentence just sort of punches you in the gut. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so relieved to hear you say that. Fair. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, so, okay. So we are going to shift from your protagonist, Ben, to you. Oh, yeah. So you are now, you are now the protagonist of our story. <laughs> and you, um, you have a path that begins about a year after university, after you graduated from yeah. university. Is that right? That's right. So what I would love for you to do is just to uh, do a little scene setting for me mm. and just say a bit about uh, where you were at school or university, excuse me, my American is showing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and where you and where you were up until the moment when when your path diverged and you you did make a decision and we'll hear about what that is. OK, so I should preface all this by saying I'm very uncomfortable talking about myself and uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> but if <Well>, I <laughs> if I completely dry up because of the sheer English mortification of talking about my life, then uh, then just give me a nudge and I'll try and kickstart again. So... I, will, I will I will nudge you. I promise that is my job. It's basically what I'm a professional nudger. It's so I funny. Know. I operate under the assumption that when when pushed, most people actually really enjoy talking about themselves. But you don't. You don't enjoy it. I feel like it. It 
it hands a, a small and precious part of you over to someone else. I basically think that it's like the, you know, the, the, the camera steals a piece of your soul. Um, ah, yeah, but the, the microphone just steals a slightly different bit. Okay, well, the nice so. thing about this is it's all imaginary, right? We're, we're imagining you into a life you never lived. So it's not really about you. Actually, I can't that's, wait. that's a complete lie. I actually believe that it's fundamentally about you because oh, I feel like, well, I do. I feel like these moments where we choose to go one way instead of another mm. whichever way we didn't go there's still an impulse there there's still a desire you know yeah. there was a desire that we had to do this thing even if we didn't end up doing it and those things get sort of you know i think sometimes we find ways to reabsorb those impulses into our actual lives and other times they get sort of lost lost and left to the side so um i do feel like what i really enjoy about this process is it allows you to kind of give some breathing room to whatever that impulse was yeah so, you know, but also just, in public yeah. in front of lots of people. So, you know, don't worry. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I promise this is not a delaying tactic. <laughs> have you have you heard or read the poem by Philip Larkin called Since the Majority of Me? No. So Can you recite it from memory? I actually think I might be able to. Go on. I'll give it a whirl. Because um, I, I studied Larkin quite a lot at school and university. Um, so, and it's about, it's, it's, about, it's about exactly this. Um, since the majority of me rejects the majority of you, uh, debating ends forthwith, and we divide. And sure of what to do, we disinfect new blocks of days for our majorities to rent uh, with unshared friends and unwalked ways. But silence too is eloquent. And the last verse is a silence of minorities that, oh, damn it, a silence of minorities that unsomethinged at last return but silence too is eloquent a silence of minorities that unopposed at last return each night with cancelled promises they want renewed they never learn oh my gosh and, and it's a wonderful poem it's about exactly this this feeling it absolutely is it's extraordinary yeah he was brilliant he was i complete, love that completely magnificent writer you know um yeah. Also, so. well done on remembering all those words <laughs> in order. <laughs> yeah, I challenged myself to learn poems for a while, many years ago, and I, I haven't, I haven't done it. Or occasionally, if if you're at a like if you're at a show or something, and it's very, very boring, you can think, I'll just read a poem to myself <laughs> in my that, head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's very clever. That's very good. No, I do it out loud. I do it out loud. I think the rest of the audience will want to, you know, if the film is boring. They are as bored as you are, and you know. <laughs> <They win. laughs> okay, that's it. That's you've run out of time. You can't talk anymore. Tell me about your last year of university and where you went after you graduated. Yes, yeah, so uh, I studied English at university, and um, by incredible good luck, I uh, was introduced to a man called John Lloyd, who became uh, my boss, which he still is. Uh, he's a brilliant comedy producer. He produced. Uh, Blackadder, Spitting Image, Not the Nine O'Clock News, and he's the producer of QI, uh, which is where I work. And um, I, by, by really good fortune, I was introduced to him in my second year of university. And we had a chat and um, he said, okay, well, maybe we could find some work experience for you after you've finished. Um, you know, no promises, but and you're busy at the moment. You've got your last year to do. So, I, you know, I did my last year of university. Um I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. In fact, I, I knew lots of things I didn't want to do. Um, what did you not want to do? Oh, buckets. I had had a vague assumption that I'd studied the law after university, and that was mostly prompted by a, a slight misunderstanding of what it might be like based on reading uh, a series of books called Rumpel of the Bailey, you know, slightly cantankerous, uh, quixotic um uh, lawyer who you know only ever defends and he's a criminal barrister and it's just that you know he's a he's a very likable character and the stories are all interesting and there's always some point at which the case turns on something he's discovered or um he's like Columbo but he's a lawyer and I read it I, I hoovered those up as a teenager and I thought god this is great I'm gonna be a lawyer um and I didn't really have any idea of what it involved or what um because you know it involves a lot of extra study after you finish your main degree. I think I'd always just assumed, oh, I'll, I'll I'll just finish my main degree, um, you know, study English, uh, and then I'll do, I'll study law for a couple of years and then I'll become a lawyer. And that, yeah, fine. Um, 
But then I got into... Go on. And sorry, I was going to say, was that... um, Obviously, that was from reading, but also was there a... Did you feel any sort of family pressure? Was there sort of a general sense of Mm. sort of what respectable young men did? Or was that not in the air? Probably there was a bit at my school... Um, but not from the family. No, mm. my family didn't pressure me at all. Actually, um, arguably lovely. they should have pressured me more. To... <laughs> and there was this. There is this phase at university, or uh, uh, there was this phase in the second year of university where people started applying for quite serious sounding, you know, internships at um, uh, uh, proper companies, and you spent your whole summer doing. Um, kind of 60 hour weeks and 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 being a bit miserable but maybe they'd offer you a job um mm. and um loads of my friends filled in these forms and I, I remember I remember very clearly sitting on the floor of the pub I can't remember what I was on the floor of the pub nearest uh my college which was called the Lamb of Flag and uh and just listening to my friends because they were all again they were on chairs I don't know why I was on the floor um <laughs> But I remember hearing. Were you them. in trouble? Was it like the naughty seat? <laughs> you had to, like you'd done something bad. No, I. Don't, you'd I don't. opted not to go for an internship, and they were making you sit on the floor as well. That might be. That might be. Yeah, yeah. This is what life's going to be like if you don't, chum. I just remember, you know, looking up at them like I was five years old, thinking, "This sounds incredibly not my thing." But I had no idea what else I was going to do. So that 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 plan was in place. Then uh, after university. I phoned John Lloyd <laughs> repeatedly asking for some work experience <laughs> and he gave me some. And then, then that turned into my first job and that is where I've been ever since. I work at QI even now. And, um, you know, I spent, and then I spent the year after university kind of living at home, not being able to afford to move out, this kind of thing. Um, and home was Oxford. Home was in London, like, actually. No, no, no. Home was I, in so London. I, yeah, I made yeah, that yeah. up. I'm from, I'm from London, but I, I studied at Oxford. Right. And then I got this brilliant scheme. Um, I was going to move back to Oxford um perform and write sketch comedy uh at, you know the little there was a little kind of sketch comedy scene in oxford uh i was going to move back there um and <laughs> that was the plan that was it and you you had a partner right you were going to move back with and you were going to write yeah sketch comedy yeah my with... buddy my friend craig um who um we we did write a sketch show together. Uh, although he did he wrote the vast majority of the sketches, so um, <laughs> I should I should have twigged even then. Oh, maybe you're maybe you're not a sketch writer because uh, he like all the funniest bits in the show were his, um, and uh, I'm really not sure what I added to it. But we did you were, we did put you a, were the you know, muse. You could be a professional muse. <laughs> I don't think I could be because he had the ideas separately to time he spent with me and brought them, and then like, I, and I'm not completely sure what a muse does, but I think they have to be a bit a bit involved at the beginning of the process. Um, present. I think you have to be present. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. I was neither present nor involved in the genesis of the the great sketches he came up with. So, um, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, that was the plan. And I, I got as far as securing myself a room. I, I was going to rent a room um, uh, on the Cowley Road, which is uh, one of the sort of big streets in Oxford. And uh, it was at 15 Cowley Road, I remember now. It was on the first floor. It was just off the roundabout. It's a big, big, busy roundabout, street facing. Uh, that was going to be the room. And I visited <laughs> and like, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't a great room. Um, Wait, where did this room come? You had just found it in an advert or something? Like, no, why, was, was, why was this the room? <laughs> I was going to live with a friend of mine um, okay. who <laughs> was just on his way out. I thought we were going to live together, but then he'd met um, he'd met the woman he he was going to uh, marry, um, and he was spending all his time uh, uh, living with her at her place. So I was basically moving into a house with not not with my friend and with two random graduate students who. I'd never met before. <laughs> so th- this was the plan. And whenever anyone asked me, why are you moving back to Oxford a year after you left? I would I would kind of laugh and say, <laughs> dunno, uh, dunno really. Um and I sort of didn't examine closely enough why I actually was doing it. Um I was mm. working at QI at this time, so And were I you was, enjoying yeah. it? Were you happy yeah, at QI? I was I was really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Um because it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful place to work. I mean, it, you you know, every day we're researching the most interesting things we can find, telling other people about those things, um, contacting experts in various fields. Like it's it's a it's a dreamy job for a researcher. Um, 
and that's why people tend to tend to stay, you know, a good this long time. This is now a job advert for QI. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come work for us. People say, "How how do you get a job at QI?" And we do have it. We do have an internship scheme which which runs um, every year or two. Um, it's uh, so there is a, there is a process of becoming an elf, which is the uh, slightly twee name that we have for ourselves. But uh, it's delightful. Yeah. Um, so so anyway, my plan was to move back, and I came and looked at this rather flea bitten room you know i remember the the windowsills on the outside were pretty dirty because it's just constant traffic noise from the street outside um and i thought no this is good um this is this This seems like a solid plan i like this this plan this is what i want but so what i mean because so what i mean you you couldn't answer the question of why you were gonna do it but there must have been you guys had you and craig had a conversation at some point where Craig said you should come back here and we should write sketch comedy or I don't think he was that keen for me to come back and for us to write sketch <laughs> like I he uh, you know because he was a he was great um and and extremely clever economics um graduate and was probably finishing his PhD by then and um and I think was more set on going into that field I don't think mm. um I mean both of us were huge fans of comedy but um I don't think he saw himself automatically going into a career in comedy so fine, okay, but so for whatever reason, we don't quite, we don't quite know. Maybe we'll, well, maybe we'll tease it out. There was some <laughs> desire to return to uh, where you went to university. Yeah, and was, was is a, that it, some of it? It was a bit of a sort of clinging to youth. One hundred percent. There we go. It's, we found it. It's so, <laughs> it's so exciting going to university. You're away from home, maybe for the first time in your life. It was for me, and mm. um, it's thrilling. And you're meeting other interesting people who are, you know very um passionate about the same things that you're passionate about you if you find your right group of people um which i think i did i found this you know brilliant um comedy group called the oxford imps and and that was basically my whole degree gone i I, you know i found them in the first week of university and just loved it um and and so i was thinking well i'll keep doing i'll keep doing shows with the imps and i'll i'll do some um some sketches and I did have, the thing is I did have the job at this point and it was it was a slightly Oxford based company at the time but it wasn't there wasn't a there wasn't a hub for me to go into there wasn't an office for me to go into so it would have been me more go heading to London a couple of times a week probably and then just working from home at, at 15 Cowley Road uh on the first floor overlooking the roundabout um the rest of the time okay yeah, all right so loud I really do <laughs> I really remember that they're just like the things that we feel like we can tolerate when we're slightly younger it's just sort of yeah it's amazing it's amazing you don't see dirt the same way no you really don't or noise i swear now (laughs) if anyone makes any noise when i'm trying to sleep it's you can just it's all over okay so so then we're coming up on your path which is ultimately at some point you said actually actually maybe this is maybe this is the worst idea i've ever had I got quite close. I got to about three weeks. Within three weeks of moving to Oxford, okay. Uh, I think, as far as I remember it, um, and th- I had this vague sense that the choice was a slightly weird one to be making, or that it wasn't it wasn't nailed on that I'd end up doing loads and loads of comedy. That it wouldn't be it wouldn't be very easy to just keep on putting on loads of shows, or that I was kind of returning to somewhere I found quite safe. And had had loved for the last three years. It's yeah, it's quite hard when you've studied somewhere and really enjoyed your three years of studying to um to leave that. You know, and the, the like Oxford's a beautiful city. It's lovely. Mm. Um, but I it, guess university is quite womb like ultimately in a sort of way, right? It's a little crikey. sort of inky. Mm. Oh, sorry, what do you no, mean? No, no. I mean, it just it there. just sort of. It just sort of holds you, and it's really, it's you know, it's like this happy little incubator space. Did I, I just did? I felt that felt yeah. completely normal to me. That clearly didn't sound. <laughs> no, I kind of know what you mean because it's um, you are looked after much more than you. I mean, much less than you ever have been before. You know, mm. because you're. It's this nice space in between being a kid um, and being a grown up. So I was, I was living in the college because they had loads and loads of rooms. It's quite a big set of buildings. I was mm. living in for the whole three years. You know. And so there's a there's a dining room where you go and you can see your friends every night and there's a nice college bar and um you know it's all it's all quite familiar it's this really nice halfway house where you have loads of friends living around you um 
and you don't have to <laughs> pay as much rent. So that's, you know, that's that lovely, like the womb, um, the rent is low. <laughs> so yeah, I, there, there was definitely probably, I, I think there was a sense of, oh, I am familiar with this and this um, has been so much fun so far and it'll definitely stay being fun. I'm not sure it would have mm. been. Well, why don't we figure it out? Because that's oh, your path. Here yeah. we go. Okay. So, okay. So essentially we're saying at some point you're about three weeks out and kind <laughs> of sense kicked in and you went, yes, it's a bit, it's a bit daunting to be out here in the world doing my job at QI, but um, you know, and it would be nice to kind of uh, return and um, <laughs> to my, to my, I'm, I'm going to stop saying womb. No, no, no. Uh, we can do it. would be nice to return to the womb. Elastic womb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so in real life, at some point you went, no, do you know what? I, I'm going to stay in London. I'm not doing this. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then eventually, I, like a, a friend of mine had a spare room going in his place. And it was in London where where I'm from as much as anything else. So And and, mm. and he said, do you want to come and live with me for a few months? And, you know, and I said, yes, actually, I really do. Um, it just suddenly made sense to to <laughs> I was because I'm from London it's also it's also returning to the just a slightly different womb but it, it was <laughs> it was at least a bit more you know it yeah was, it ruins the womb thing if London is where you're from it's yeah I know it nuts. Work. Nuts, no. nuts, um, it makes it less a kind of cool courageous decision I made and more just a a different kind of Peter Panning it but that's what I did and um and I thought no I've got to you know I've got to I've got to try and do this properly and so that's what so that's what I did but now you're saying we're going to imagine I didn't do that three weeks out I didn't have this realization that I had no clear idea of what I was doing okay here we go so so essentially I mean we can either say um your friend never had the room going and so you never had the opportunity to be sort of jolted yeah so we do that yeah so friend never says that friend finds somebody else who's you know (laughs) who's way less cool and way less funny (laughs) to take the other room. We'll go that way. Um, And uh, you kind of carry on on your sort of um, your path to to the Cali Road. Okay. So then what happens? Well, I get there. You move in. You get there. My friend who I was meant to be moving in with, um, who's a great buddy of mine, is not there anymore. Nope. A couple of grad students are there. They're very busy. Like they've got a lot of work on. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> where are we in time? Just so we've got, we're grounded in time here. What year is it? Uh, I think it's January two thousand and ten. Okay. So, um, you know, haven't had the election yet. Um, no. Dying, dying days of the Brown administration. We've had the MPs' expenses scandal, which was the year before, <laughs> just to set the context of the world that we're in. It's useful. Yeah, very useful. I think um, it is useful. Yeah. Um, am I, am I, am I quitting my QI job at this point? Well, we decide. So you've, you've done this kind of weird, weird sort of squidgy move that doesn't make any sense. You're back. Nobody's really around because your roommates are super busy. Everyone in my year from my, my college has, has gone. Yeah. Um, there are a few people who did foreign languages degrees, so they're back after the year abroad. There okay. are a few of the scientists are doing, uh, you know, they're doing their fourth year, but they're very busy. They're in the labs. So I've definitely got time on my hands. Okay. And um, so do you, do you think that you would have left the QI job and just decided to, you're just going to. Realistically, I, I wouldn't have done because, okay. I, but I, I, but I do want to, I do want to do a proper, properly different timeline. I don't well, know. Don't... Sometimes on the show you end up with timelines where it's like, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing, but 18 months later. Um, yes. Yeah, that, that's, can, that can happen. Well, we well, don't, why want, don't we, do we want that? I know we want to make a breach, don't we, with the the reality? We want to do we want to do whatever feels normal, whatever feels sort of uh, whatever feels real. I think within the context of this unreal life. So okay, so maybe could, I don't go all in. Maybe I don't go all in at QI. I, I uh, my yeah. guess is that you would start by holding on to it, but that you might we might find that you step away from it at some point because it's okay. a staff or something. All right, yeah, yeah, but we don't know yet. So, okay, so you're holding on to the job. You're commuting in a couple of days a week. Yeah, going to meetings and things like that. Um, What's up with Craig? He's 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 um, working away at his, you know, very successful academic career as an economist. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll do another sketch show. Okay, but maybe, the- actually, oh. thinking, thinking about it, <laughs> I've got no evidence for this, but maybe he thinks 
I'm actually not sure I want to have to write 80% of every show that Andy and I do together. <laughs> <laughs> That's, and that'd be fair enough. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so maybe he doesn't want to do another sketch show or maybe we do one more and uh, it's fine. There are very nice little theatres um, in Oxford. Like, that's a nice thing about the city. There are loads of little theatres and rooms where you can try stuff out. Um, mm. And in fact, speaking of um, that tolerance you have for grubbiness when you're that age, the show, the room where we performed our Oxford Imp shows was this pub and it was so horrible backstage. <gasps> uh, the graffiti had graffiti on it. You know, it was really... <laughs> and there was this just kind of sense of asbestos in the air there was just this awareness that something Ew. was getting into your lungs Ew. and it, it was staying whatever it was and they'd find out in 30 years oh that's what killed him it was those, <laughs> it was being backstage was... at the Oxford I think the pub is still training so I'm sure they've cleaned up their act now and I just want to put that on the record that um I'm sure it's I'm sure you could eat your dinner off the walls there now <laughs> but um Five star all the way. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I'm back. I'm doing shows with the Oxford Imps, actually, which I, I would definitely be doing. Um, okay. Rehearsing with them every week, performing with them every week. Um, and you said you said when you started university, that was the thing. That was the thing yeah, you found and you loved it. Why did you love it so much? It. So it was improvised comedy, which I'd never even heard of before I went to uni. And uh, it's much bigger in the States, I know, and in mm. other bits of the world. But here it's, it's really not. Um, it's just it's just so much fun. It's um, the email I got inviting me to audition for it because I'd signed up at the like the Freshers' Fair thing where, you, you know, you sort of see all the different things you could do. Mm. The email I got inviting me to come to the auditions ended with the words, it's like life, but better. And <laughs> that was, I really found that. It's so freeing. And I had no, I had no conception that you could perform in comedy. I'd, I'd watched comedy obsessively as a teenager. I'd read a lot of, you know, comic, um, novels or, or biographies of comedians but I just didn't have the sense that I could do it and then joining the Oxford Imps made me realize ah this it is a path you can follow it mm. um, and I tried stand-up for a while in my third year and did quite a lot of stand-up comedy and then got very bored of myself because I didn't have anything interesting to say um did you not really or you just felt like you didn't no I really didn't okay. I really didn't there I was just nothing there yeah I just wasn't very formed as a person um, I think it's probably the reason I, I don't do stand up today is that I arguably still feel like that. Like you're not formed as a person. Uh, like I don't have a I don't have a very interesting or different perspective to offer. Um, in stand up comedy terms, you know, I yeah, I, mm, I know that's not automatically what you have to have, but when you look at really great stuff, like someone like Dylan Moran has a, mm. a very clear formed sense of himself and um and in a sense you know what you're getting but also he's so brilliant that you don't know what you're going to get with him I, d- I just didn't feel like I could um refresh the stand-up comedy scene or I was going to wow it in any way so uh so I just sort of let that peter out but maybe I take that up again maybe I <laughs> through due to having a lot of free time on my hands because I'm just <laughs> And I don't want to go home because I don't want to go back to, to 15 Cowley Road. No. Re- if this person living at 15 Cowley Road is listening to this now, I'm sure it's nicer. <laughs> and I'm really I'm really sorry um, for giving it such a kicking. But in 2010, it was not nice. It's probably like a premium property now. And it's sort of occupied by, you know, I bet it's gorgeous. And it's got double glazing on the windows so you can't hear the roundabout. The move the bedrooms to the back of the property. So yeah, yeah. all sorts of sensible stuff has happened there <laughs> since then. I'm yeah. really glad we're super making sure that everyone that we're talking about feels really good about themselves. Um, <laughs> well, another reason I probably couldn't have been a very good stand-up comedian is um, at some point you might have to make people not feel good about themselves. And if I, was mean, if I was mean to a heckler, uh, which I never was, um, I would feel terrible. I'd think, oh, but what if it ruined their year? But what if you them know. heckling you ruined your year? They didn't think about that, did That's they? That's part of the course. That's fine. If I had done, I would have felt very bad about myself. More probably than the heckler felt about the heckling or whatever response I'd given to the heckling. Um, it would not have created good emotions, okay. I think, for anybody. Okay, so wait, we've gone okay, way so, off right. these. So you, where am I? I'm, you've, you're, <laughs> I'm, where, back, where... I'm performing. I'm doing sketches. Um, yep. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still at QI, but maybe I'm not going to sort of go all in and say this. this has to 
you know, this is this is the most fun job in the world. I'm just going to sort of poodle along, do a bit of research. Oh, yeah, it's kind of good. You've done one show with Craig, and has Craig decided that he he doesn't really want to? I think Craig might have said, "Look, we are you uh, you know are you going to contribute more to the next show in a very polite way?" <laughs> <laughs> um, he probably he probably he's too nice to do that. But let's let's say he does. Let's say he does, and I say, "Oh, I, I'm just not sure. I'm a sketch writer. God, I'm running out of road here." It's okay. Don't worry. Don't panic. I feel like I am. This is no. Maybe if I'm thrashing around a bit for something to do, I'll think. I could do that master's in um, Philip Larkin studies. <gasps> Maybe I could do that. Because I did I think, think about staying on a bit after the end of university. But then at the, I just thought, oh, I, wanna, I, want to, I want to do a bit of work. But I might if I was back. But, you know, back in the city, but not part of the university. So you're already kind of inside, outside there. You know, you're half inside, you're half outside. I might have thought, well, listen, if I just did that master's, you know, produce something quite impressive. Um, I'd, I'd feel much more part of the university. Okay. I think that w- I think that would have been something that if I had if I had made this move, I genuinely think I would have found it a bit discomforting. Like, you know, you meet people maybe, and they are they actually are part of the university. They are studying or teaching or whatever, and you say, oh, "I'm not I'm not part of it anymore. I I live here because I like the city, and it is a beautiful city." But I can see having been part of it and then not being part of it anymore being quite a difficult transition to make if you're still around there. Absolutely. It's such yeah. a major part of the identity of the city as in any college town. But right in the center of town, it's very university-ish. Um, and so, and you see okay. people walking around the streets having, they've had their exams or they've, um, they are, you know, having a graduation ceremony. And um, I can imagine myself with my nose slightly pressed up against the glass of university and for actually for many years i didn't go back to the city at all because i just was kind of clearing it out of my system i you don't realize how lucky you are to study in a really beautiful city when you do and Mm. and it is a real privilege and um yeah i think i wanted to put a bit of clear blue water between me and it and now it feels like a bit of a, a daydream almost it's such an idyllic place in so many ways and that was definitely what was pulling me back you know I mean, they, you you can <laughs> you can go punting along the river. It's a bit. <laughs> what is this? It what does, century it are we in? It doesn't feel like we're in the last days of the Brown government. It feels like uh, the mid nineteenth century. You know. <laughs> and yet, and yet, here we are in the last yeah. days of the Brown government. <laughs> and you're gonna you're gonna get right back in there. So I love this. So yeah. I think so. You apply for your masters. <laughs> yeah, your okay, Philip, yeah. You're gonna apply for your Philip Larkin masters. I'm not completely sure it's because I think this is a dominant theme that's emerging. I'm never completely sure. I spent years in my 20s looking at what all my friends were doing and thinking, maybe I should be a vet. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? What are you talking about, Andy? But I, I, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I, I've, I've always been very envious of um, jobs which have um, real expertise attached. Yes, I know exactly. You know, what you when, you're a, when you're a doctor, you know what that gland is called and you know that it's about to kill this patient unless I cut it out. <laughs> He's got a dangerous level of, of GHMC in his system. Oh no. And then it's so, but, but I do know that we could, if we pump in 38 milligrams just above the left ventricle here, then the patient will survive and it'll be fine. He can, he can still make it to conduct the symphony orchestra tonight, whatever. <laughs> the patient is also an expert in this nightmarish <laughs> imagination. I've got like the patient is a wild expert on uh, Sibelius and, um, you know. <laughs> but, but, uh, the patient can't be somebody who kind of like kind of drifts along being like, I'm no. not really sure what I want to do with my life. No, we have to make the Sibelius. It's a world Sibelius <laughs> symposium tonight. We have to get the patient to it. Um, he's incredibly eminent as well, but um, you know, when you when you know uh, about a specific subject, I think it's a, an amazing thing. And if you're in the arts, uh, writing whether that's questions or, or, or scripts for QI, which is very you know you're all different subjects you're covering, uh, mm. or you're writing a book, you know there's a you kind of forget how to write a book every time you do it. Um, yeah, and you have to relearn again at the beginning of the next the next one. Um, so. You know, I've always had a, been very impressed by that. So maybe that would have lured me to say, well, if I just know more about Philip Larkin than anybody else, you know. Just to pause on that for two seconds, I think it's really interesting the the kind of difference between those sort of sets of careers. And I think that, and 
that feeling that we have that that a that need for sort of certainty or clarity of purpose which you know it does it it looks like the world is a lot easier if you have that it looks like yeah, you know when yeah, you have yeah. those friends who have sort of always known what, exactly what they want to do with their lives or as you say like focus on one thing and a massive body of knowledge that allows them to execute and that that kind of single track where you can get really deep into something it looks yeah. so appealing but i do think we're we're not taught to kind of respect and appreciate the more sort of squidgy career paths <laughs> in the way that we can kind of revere the the sort of more straightforward ones. Anyway, you're now going to yeah, yeah, go yeah. straight forward and you're going to you're going to research something really deeply. Okay. So I'm assuming you get into the program because otherwise we're really oh, going to run out of time. God, it's too depressing. It's too depressing if I don't. Um, <laughs> all right, I get in. I'm, yep. I'm now studying Philip Larkin. Um, is it a one year master's? Or two years? How long is it? Let's make it two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's not a, <laughs> there's not a huge body of work, but what what the hell? You need to you need to go deep. Um, this is going to take us probably through to the Olympic Games. How exciting! Great um, context. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Maybe at some point I'll lobby for the opening ceremony to include. Um, you know, because they had someone dressed as Isabel King de Brunel and they had the, the Queen and, and James Bond. And maybe I'll get into a campaign to say, no, we've got to have a Larkin um, <laughs> <laughs> reading something incredibly depressing at the opening ceremony. OK, but I'm doing the Masters. I'm doing the Masters. You're um, doing the Masters. Uh, I'm part of, you know, I'm back. I'm back in. Back in. Well done. You got back in there. You what we all want. Back in the womb. I know. Um, I wasn't going to say it. No, no. I could, and I could, I could sense your restraint, and I wanted to Thank say, you. "Why not? Let's go for it." Um, Thank you. Back of the womb. I'm studying Larkin, which which I did a bit in my first year, and which I did a bit in my first year, and I loved. Um, so, is it a particular area of Larkin? Is it all Larkin? He wrote two novels. He wrote about five full collections of poetry and there are lots of other minor works and essays and things like that but it's mostly the the last few volumes of poetry which are they they contain the really like the red hot stuff about disappointment and um what might have been and actually a lot of other poems of his are about what might have been there's one where he's um it's called lines on a young lady's photograph album and he's clearly it's he's looking through a photo album that um a woman maybe a romantic partner we think is showing him and he's looking through kind of regretting that he didn't know her when she was younger feeling retroactively envious of the handsome young men she knew and who were in these photos of her younger days and and then in a kind of classic lark and he's saying oh well you know your the last line is you're looking smaller and clearer as the years go by compared with your these photos are smaller and clearer as the years go by compared with you now you know you've changed time time has kind of had its effect on you as it has on all of us and you're left with this record of youthful perfection and potential he's a very <laughs> depressing poet to read <laughs> in some way in many ways um and there's lots of beauty in there as well but there's lots of there's lots of stuff of oh i've i've become you know i've i've given up a lot of possibilities to become mm. a a an occasional poet and a and a red hot hull librarian. Is that what he was? He was, yeah, yeah. For, oh. That was his that was his main job. Um, he was the, the librarian at Hull University and um, uh, and was really good at it. But you know, the, had a lot of envy in him um, for the easier life um, that uh. he kind of thinks he might have had. So I'm probably quite depressed at this point. You're sort of wallowing in these poems. I'm, yeah, I'm there. You know. I'm there with are, him. Are you um, socializing and or are you still doing your, your stand-up and your sketch <laughs> at the same time? Are you doing so, anything I... to lift the, the, <laughs> the torpor? Yeah, I probably am. I'm definitely still performing with the imps because it was just so much fun. And I would have I would have gone back to that like a, like a shot if I was in the same city. Um, I then, because I spent the last 10 years doing a show called Ostentatious, which is improvised yes. Jane Austen novels full length my colleagues uh in that show set it up when several of them were in the imps as well and they moved to london uh, so i'm now not part of that um I'm, I'm kind of looking out again nose very firmly against the glass now seeing them said oh, god brilliant jane austen i'm thinking oh my god why didn't i do the jane austen masters 
What's happened to the QI job? I guess I've <laughs> maybe I've let that atrophy as well. Well, um, what is it? What does it feel like? I mean, you've got a lot on now. You've got your masters, <laughs> and you're you're a busy man. You've got the imps. I've said oh, I'll just do two days a week of that. You know, so I'm not properly becoming part of the company. I'll just I'll just I'll, I'll do two days a week. I do the master the rest of the time. Um, Can you afford that? Probably not. So I'm going to have to sell some stuff. <laughs> so I'll sell some stuff. That's fine. <laughs> um, I, I hang on. I'm twenty. I'm twenty one or two i don't have any stuff no there's no stuff and you live in a horrible flat so it's you you don't have a lot of capital i'm going to have to sell the stuff of the other graduate students no who i no that is that too absurd a choice i okay, don't know do okay. you what if you do it can you, i mean you can do you maybe get something a little bit more local that's easier to manage with your other maybe commitments? I maybe I do. Okay. Maybe I do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There that's we go. Nice. <laughs> so you've, you've very deftly shifted me off the path where I become a criminal. I'm, I just, something tells me that's not going to happen, even no, in this life that isn't happening. I'm too, no, I'm too, I'm too afraid of being caught. Yeah. I feel like if you don't want to heckle the hecklers, you're not going to, you're not going <laughs> to... You're not going to sell your roommate's stuff out from uh, under them when they're like at work. Sob. Okay. What do you do? You're a bartender or a waiter or a something what more? I do. Yeah. No, something like that. There's a very nice sandwich shop on, um, on St. Giles, which is called Turner's. Okay. I'll try and get a job there because okay. they make really nice sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite sandwich at Turner's? Let's give them a little plug too. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I've remembered the name correctly. If not, it's, it's going to be a long, <laughs> huge spike in demand and thwarted Google searches <laughs> after this goes out. Um, they do a really nice kind of goat's cheesy and tomato-y one. Yummy. It is definitely lunchtime right now. We should not be talking about sandwiches. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so you're making sandwiches. You're You're... Deep Reading and Larkin. really depressing, yeah. Larkin. You're working on your what is it? Your thesis? Yeah, thesis, uh, dissertation. Yeah, probably something like that. Um, that important paper that you do when you get yeah. a master's. And then I'm um, I'm doing a bit of improv on the side, and um, and the queue I think is kind of slightly fallen by the wayside now. It's interesting because you've sort of you've sort of shifted your spheres of belonging. So in your real life, mm. it feels like you've been deeply embedded in QI literally since you left yeah, university. Yeah. And that's presumably felt like home and family and everything. Yeah. And now you've you've kind of that sort of moved away, but now you it, it just feels like that seems important that you sort of belong to a community and a, a kind of Yeah. I think so. Which yeah. I think is important. I mean it's not rare. It's important for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think that was the lovely thing about joining the the comedy groups is um, when you're performing with... And th so we do this podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, which is sort of within QI, the four of us make that show every week. And um, that, the Oxford Imps, the, the, the Jane Austen group, all of them have been um, really wonderful groups of people to join, feel mm. happy playing around with. I think there is some... I think it's probably Aristotle or someone who said that, you know, a man will tell you more about himself in five, 15 minutes of play than in two days of serious conversation, which is a lovely sentiment. I hope it's true. All, all of the things I do are kind of improvised in some way or another. You know, the podcast, we have facts, but then we're making up comedy around those facts in the moment with each other in conversation. So that's kind of a, it's also kind of improvised. So there's something about that, which is just so freeing. And rediscovering that play, because you don't, you know, you gradually play a bit less as you age. Um, yeah. Maybe, um, you know, if and when you have children, you, you're, you're then playing with them and then you're kind of rediscovering that. But um, it's, a, it's you're a long way then from childhood play and you have to kind of summon it back. Um, exactly. And you can do it for a precise amount of time before your brain just turns to <laughs> sludge. It's really delightful until it's not. <laughs> So, yeah. So the Larkin and the sandwich making doesn't feel like it's going to afford me much opportunity for that. Let's see what happens. So you, um, uh, why don't we finish you up with your dissertation? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I've had that in. Yeah. Do I pass? I, what do you think? I you probably will pass. Yeah. I think you pass. What was the dissertation about? Uh, it'll be a quote of his where he said, disappointment is to me what daffodils were for Wordsworth. Oof. I know it could be about disappointment. Um, 
because I am I I slightly morbid sounding. I'm interested in it. It's I'm interested in this. This is partly why it was so exciting to you know be asked to um, talk to you. That it's <laughs> it's fascinating talking about um the the sense of what might have been you know wasted potential better paths maybe i've i've compulsively set myself up on a an alternative path which is very miserable sounding so that i feel good about all the choices i've made that bring me to my real life now it is possible maybe i've thrived so much at the larkin like the olympics people have said yeah okay yeah gr- yeah sod it we'll do it we'll have um Dan- Daniel Craig's going to be our like <laughs> he's going to do a reading dressed as Larkin as well. Um, he's going to have to slim down a bit. Um, yeah, I don't, it's not how I picture playing Larkin like automatically, but yeah, right. Jim Broadbent maybe Broadbent or Craig, one of the two. Um, <laughs> they'll talk. They'll talk about the money with the agents. It's Jim Broadbent, um, <laughs> but he's helicoptered in like Bond. <laughs> yes, brilliant. Dressed brilliant. like Larkin. Yeah, talking about disappointment. And and you know the commentators say. And this whole thing was come up with by a, a, a brilliant um, master student at Oxford. It's called Andrew Murray, and um, you know the stadium gives me a round of applause. And they say he's working at, at, at Turner's um, <laughs> in St Giles. So, and if you go in there, you know, so trade rockets at Turner's. Um, <laughs> I then, I then set up my own chain um, called Murray's. Um, it's it's based in Oxford, but you know. The sky's the limit. Proliferates, goes yeah. everywhere. By the time I'm my age, I've got a hugely successful Larkin sandwich operation <laughs> going. Um, no, all it should of be the co- paper, the paper that you wrap the sandwiches in, they all have Larkin poems God, on I love them. That. It should be called Larkins. It's the, 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 yep, yep. it's called Larkins. That's okay. what it's. That's what it's called. You know, there's a chance that I've really stuffed it by not following this path. I'm think. I'm realizing now. I, it's almost as good as if you had been a vet. <laughs> I should have. Okay. I should have moved back. I should have moved back. You should have moved back. You should have moved. Nice. Yeah. I should, the point of this is not to make you feel like you should be back. <laughs> let's take a let's take a breather for a second. So, hey, uh, okay. so is that definitely? Is that are we saying that that's what happens? Is it? Are we? Are we going down the? You're an Olympic hero and and no, real, real, okay. realistically, Real, no. Okay, yeah. realistically, you turn in your dissertation on. Um, I feel like such a killjoy, but I'm going to just bring you back. You turn in your dissertation on disappointment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, you I, I, very aptly. The feeling I have is one of mild disappointment. That is it. That that's now. Well, I've deferred the decision for a couple of years, two year masters. Um, but now again, I'm slightly. I don't know how to parlay that into a. Mm. A life. What do you think? What do you think you do? Try and do some light book reviewing. Okay. But it's very hard to support yourself entirely on book reviewing. It does not pay very much. But the rent is quite low. You're staying in Kelly Road. I think so. I think I'm yeah. in it now. Maybe I've managed yeah. to finagle a better bedroom. Maybe one of the grad students has moved out. I'm now on the second floor facing the road. Or okay. dream we'll of dreams. Up. Not facing the road. <laughs> That's good. It's progress. Uh, and you know Oxford's full of these little literary magazines and outfits and things like that. So I'll probably start writing for them. Okay. Good. Good. Tick. Maybe I can eventually give up the sandwich job. What's yeah. happened to QI? By the way, is QI gone at this point? I would. I would. The thing is, I'd probably think oh, I should. I should try and do a bit more at QI. Okay. <laughs> and. Realistically, that's probably going to involve me moving to London at some point. Okay. So I might might ring my friend Will and say, I don't suppose that room will be coming free at any point, will it? And he says? He says, yeah, I've just had to... The last guy I had in was actually... He was taking my stuff and <laughs> selling it. Do you believe some people? so rude i know i mean so i'll, I'll say i'll say to q i look i've now i've i've got the lock in out of my system maybe it's time to maybe it's time to take this paying job i've had all this time a bit more seriously is that what it feels like is it feel is it feel sort of like you sort of you sort of scratched an itch with the larkin and and that's i think there probably was a there was a strong desire to to stay part of that university in whatever capacity uh, a bit longer, you know. 
because it's hard making decisions. And I think, I think often I, I don't know about everybody, but I think I will go for the thing that is the least huge decision. Mm. So, you know, you were, you were living in Oxford until now. Okay. Well, just do the thing that's most like that. So do you have to make a couple of contortions to do that? Yes. But maybe there's something to allow you to keep feeling like you're part of the university. So, okay, well maybe apply for a master's or something like that. It must be possible. So I think, I think, Seriously, that is what most people do. You, you, yeah. you will make choices that, and even even evolutions in things, even changes in a status, whether it's, you know, a, a relationship or a, a marriage or something like this. You know, it's it's to allow you to stay with that person, and to feel like you're making progress in some way, but also, um, in some way, staying the same as well. I guess the idea is if we if we think about what we sort of think progress is in terms of sort of moving forward, then ultimately you want to sort of steer towards that kind of forward movement. And I guess, and that's what you're saying is why it is so difficult to make any decision that takes you in a different direction, because ultimately it feels, it feels like not forward. And for whatever reason, we kind of can't cope with that, which I think, again, it makes it really difficult for anybody who has a sort of nonlinear career path. Yeah. Uh, or a nonlinear uh, relationship path. I mean, you know, things like things like yeah. divorce, or even just breaking up with yeah. somebody, is yeah, yeah, so yeah. wrenching. In part because maybe that's right. It 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 takes you out of that sort of tide. Absolutely. Yeah. That we're supposed yeah. to be swimming in. Yeah. Um. So it's it's quite. What I'm trying to say is this has been quite discomforting. <laughs> is that is that why you're coming back to London and going back to QI because you feel uncomfortable in your other life? <laughs> I, yeah. What I'm wondering, I'm wondering if I need to force you to stay at Oxford a little bit longer, and if oh, you're God. not allowed, you don't have to. You don't um, have to. I know. I I'm I, now. I'm now bending the arc of the life back towards the life that I. I think what, I, what I'm trying to say is that I. Um, I'm glad that um, I'm glad I didn't take that room, but again, mm. we never we'll never know how much of our choices are just us justifying the past to ourselves because there is no alternative um and how much of us saying well i'm actually very glad i'm very glad i um i was hit by that car or whatever you know it's uh <laughs> well people i mean people do do that right they, they know, say things yeah. like you know this the accident was a blessing because x and i think i don't know what that drive is in our brain to sort of make i guess ultimately we want these things to have meaning and these things that yeah, feel really yeah. random you know, the scary act of God stuff, you want yeah. it to fit into a narrative of sorts, don't you? And it's very, yeah. And it's, it's, it's very hard when those things don't, um, because something, yes. because, the, because there isn't realistically, there isn't a narrative. There is, you know, there's the meaning that we, we can place on things, but some things just are, t- are too difficult in life to fit into a perfect plan. Um, which is where the brilliant human capacity for saying, making the best of things, finding meaning, whether it may be creating meaning is so important and it probably is what helps all of us stay sane and keep forging the lives that we are you know is that we're able to say no i can i can see that was difficult but here is some meaning which i'm going to inject into the events do you feel like we're trying to make a lot of meaning in this podcast because we're coming towards the end and it feels like we need to sort of say something really profound while we get to the um, well, this is the traditional part of the five-act structure in which <laughs> the protagonists realize they have a great moment of hamasha, they realize something important, and then they're just able to act on it uh, in the very final pages. I do actually, I, wanted, I do want to spend a, a couple more minutes since we have them, because I do want to know, is you get back to London and mm. you... You're living with Will yeah. because his flatmate sold all his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very empty, very empty kind of minimalist so empty flat, flat he's in now. Yeah. yeah, and you definitely can't furnish it because you've just been <laughs> reading Larkin for two years and making sandwiches. <laughs> but you do make a killer sandwich. Does it feel like you're just rejoining the slipstream that you were sort of in in real life? Or now that you've got this sort of, you've, you've gotten something out of your system, a desire I think a lot of us have, which is to stay at university for a long time yeah. because it means not joining real life. And you've kind of, you've kind of given that a little breathing space. Does anything feel different? I think I'll probably think, what did you do that for? 
But really? that's but yeah, but I'm a very I'm a very self-critical person, you know. Mm. I will um but then I think no, it's what Larkin would have wanted. He would have wanted someone to feel similar disappointments <laughs> to the ones that he was feeling. So maybe it was for the best. Yeah. And then I'll just pick up time. my 20s and continue. And actually, mm. that's the only other thing. When you come back to London, do you bring your your because you've been doing you've been doing the imps all this time. Do you bring oh, your yeah. love of sketch back to London and keep going? Maybe I'll be able to catch up with my friends um, who've been doing this Jane Austen thing, and it's you know it's in its early days. But yeah, I probably I would like to. I think there's a, a big bit of me that's a um, show off in whatever capacity, and so I will try and find a way to keep showing off. That's a really important thing to be doing. One thing you said about why you didn't actually do stand-up in your university years Mm. was this idea of having a really formed sense of self and needing to have a formed sense of self to do that. And it feels like that's also linked to your sense of what it means to make sort of hard decisions and follow sort of um, more straightforward paths. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's the only other thing I'm wondering is if you have, if I've got a better sense of myself now, do you have a stronger sense of self having spent two years wallowing in Larkin's disappointment? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'll have had, I'll have had, I'll have had the free time to do a bit of that thinking. Um, but it's, it's funny how time and aging kind of smooths things out anyway. Mm, say more about that. Well, it might be that you just have to go through the angsty time of your late teens and early 20s and that there's not a huge amount to be done. As, as in, if you go through it and you if you go through it and you don't have angst, then great. But if you do, t- time will sort it out slightly more slowly than therapy, but it will sort it out in whatever way. There's a sense in which just the passing of time, I just feel much, <laughs> I feel much calmer now than I did then. There's just a bit less angst. And maybe it's because 99 out of the um, 100 doors ha- have closed. Mm. I'm not going to be a vet. Um, you could still be a vet. No, stop it. No, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> that's, like the cruelest, that's the cruelest thing I could say to you. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm so no, sorry. It's it's you cannot right. be a vet ever. Yeah. yeah thank you. <laughs> ever. Yeah. Maybe that would be a good um, alternative to therapy. It's just you, you just go and they just say, look, these doors are closed. Here are yeah. the remaining ones. What are you going to do? It comes back to that thing about choice because it's like, you know, Ultimately, and I think that is the thing of your youth, isn't it? There's so many options. Yeah. And now, I mean, you know, I've got nothing. I've got, I've, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm on the last travelator in the airport. It's. (laughs) But you, I mean, it's it's interesting for somebody who feels that way about choice because you really, I mean, you literally, you you stuck, you have stuck with the same thing since university. Do you think you'll keep going this way? Um, are you going to be QIL forever? <laughs> I don't know. Um, we're going to get to the end of the alphabet in six years, so might, that might make my oh choice my for me. But, but you know, then there's the numbers. So we'll see. I think there's a lot of numbers. Oh, yeah. Heaps. <laughs> well, I think that might be a good place for us to stop. What do you think? Yeah, that's grand. I think that's great. I'm really glad that we married up here. I love, I love that your path was essentially just a little two-year divergence. I know, which I, I said at the start, I didn't want to do, but there we go. No, but I think, I think we went into some interesting places. Definitely, I think yeah. it's really, it's really nice. There's one thing that you might like. There's, you've Tell probably, me. You've probably uh, seen it already. There's a book called by Oliver Berkman called Four Thousand Weeks. And I, it is literally, it is sitting downstairs on my desk. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I read I read about a third of it and then the baby came along and I have not read anything of it since. But um... what about it feels <laughs> feels relevant? Oh, it's just it's just a great, great. Yeah, he says you're not going to get it all done. So give up that idea because mm. I often get told by friends and family and so on. You are trying to do the whole lot and it's just not possible. You're not a machine. You can't do everything. So you will have to make some choices. And I've kind of, I've only ever accrued more jobs. I've never actually quit a job. Um, That's true, isn't it? Because if you, if you just keep accruing, then you never have to make the decision to stop something. 
Exactly, exactly. And the, the, so that is a pathology of its own kind. Mm. I think it's interesting to think about the idea of the function of obsessing about our other lives. Oh, yeah. Right? Is there a function? Well, I think think it does. It must do something. It must, even if it's a really primitive function, it feels like it must do something for us because it, I mean, you were saying earlier that you're very um, self-critical and I think a lot of um, probably people in the arts sort of are because there's something that's torturous about it, right? If you're constantly... Yeah, shoulda, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, all of that. Exactly, huh? and it hurts. It it hurts, and I think sometimes I don't know for whatever reason there there is there's something that obsessing about all those other lives kind of keeps at bay about our existing lives. Maybe basically a, a basically a giant defense mechanism. It stops you from making decisions here, thinking, but, oh, well, there is some variant of existence where I did do that. It certainly keeps you away from living fully in whatever you're living in. Although yeah. I recently think that, that uh, the idea of being totally present in one moment or another moment is nonsense. Yeah, so it's exhausting. Main, you can get through I just one can't hour do it. doing that. No, it's, you know, that's very tiring. I know. You can get a few moments of those a day and that's lovely. And that's probably, I think that's the maximum. I think maybe yeah. that's the thing to aim for. A few moments of presence in a day is probably a really, a really good goal. You can be a monk and you can, um, or a nun. And you know, devote yourself fully to that, but a lot of lot of hours doing that, and you're going to have to give hours. up a lot of other stuff along the way. Which, as we know, you do not want to give up anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we have to. We have to. We don't have to give up the podcast, but we do have to end the podcast. <laughs> this has been a total joy. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, thank you so much, Miriam. That's been grand. During our conversation, Andrew mentioned how Philip Larkin had said that disappointment was to him what daffodils were to Wordsworth. He also talked about his own fascination with disappointment, with the sense that there's always something else that could have been, some way that things might have been a bit better, or at least a bit different. It's possible he felt a little disappointed, even, that his path had been, on the short side, a mini-detour to a place he'd already lived that had landed him back exactly where he'd left off. I kind of felt it too, which I think is why I tried to get some major shift or revelation out of him at the end. Was his sense of self different? Did he feel more confident? In a year's time, will we see Andrew on the stand-up circuit? He said perhaps he'd given himself an underwhelming unlived life as a way of making him feel he definitely made the right choices in his real life. But I wonder if his unlived life went the way it did and if in general, Andrew is fascinated by disappointment in part because there's value in that feeling. After all, that sense of things not being quite right, of not having turned out the way one thinks they should have, is what gave birth to the work of his favorite poet. I'd also guess it had a hand in the creation of Andrew's own books, and it certainly contributed to a hilarious, vividly imagined conversation in this episode. Maybe in the end, it turns out that disappointment might not be all bad, if it creates the friction required to produce something beautiful.